Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Nugent Hopkins, left circle, wrist shot, score! Patrick Ryan Nugent Hopkins! Harris takes a snap, draws back, he throws. That's complete and a big game for the Eskimos. It's Ricky Collins Jr. again! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite team. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. He'll swing it to the corner for dry settle back in front to Aaron H. A two on one. McDavid and Drysaddle. McDavid, Drysaddle, one timer score! There's the hat trick! Leon Drysaddle, his first ever in the regular season! And Edmondson feeding Leon at every opportunity. Drysaddle again, shoots and scores! There's 50 from the right circle! And Leon Drysaddle is being mobbed as he becomes the first Oiler since 1988 to score half a hundred! That highlight pack can only mean one thing. The multi-talented Jack Michaels, your play-by-play voice of your Edmonton Oilers on 630 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network, is in studio. Good evening, Jack. I'd argue if I could. Although I was not happy with you, you did not send a driver tonight. <laughs> well, Normally I require oh, a driver. You like when I send Odd Job around to pick you up. And a pre-interview meal. Yes, I enjoyed that immensely. Yes. Well, you got you for afraid you were going to be late tonight. Yes, I had a little train action, but that's okay. You know me, I'm never necessarily comfortably on time. No, you do not like to get there early. No. That I'm, is for sure. I'm not you one like for waiting around. Disaster. <laughs> yes, Molly Hatchet. Good As reference. we did in Vancouver, yes. but that was okay. We you know Molly it. Hatchet, right? Which one's I don't Flirting know. Flirting with the disaster. Oh, come on, Reed. You're in my ballpark usually. Never even heard of him? No. Molly Hatchet, Flirting with Disaster. Have someone look it up. That's a song or there was, a, a, mo- song, there was a movie called Flirting with Disaster. No, with, Molly uh, Hatchet is the band. Lee. Molly Hatchet oh, is the band. Flirting with Disaster is their top song. I guarantee you, you've heard the song. Jalen Nye is one of the most wonderful, sweetest, talented co-workers. She gave me a ha- hug I've, on my I've, ever, I've ever had. Yes. Someone I respect and I consider a mentor. Yes. The only thing that bugs me is she will have the TV on non-high def channels. Don't you find that? Don't you find that startling now when you see a sporting event and it's not in high def? It actually upsets my senses. So why does she have it on the non-high def? Is uh, she watching like a different uh, channel set, or what is she? Doing? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I'll have to ask her why. I think she changes it for me. I mean, is it non-high def in. sports, or is it is non-high she, she def? Had, like, by the way, we're watching Dodgers Phillies tonight, I guess, because okay. why not? What else is on? Oh, we don't get. Oh, that so channel. she's attempting to play to your world, but. But she doesn't know to go to the high. Well, yeah, she's channels. very kind. Oh, we have Blue Jays Red Sox on. That's, that's a meaningful game. <laughs> well, it is for the Red Sox. Yes, yeah, true. The Blue Jays are kind of playing out the string. So, what did speaking I... of the opening highlight in that pack? Yes, I know. I know. I went back over two years. But well, I, I know, but I, I love the Deharnay call. Well, and it likes. I mean, it's the last time really the Oilers. That was. 
you could make a real argument. That's they're they haven't had a bigger win since. Well, haven't was, had a bigger win since. Had a, no, true. Well, I mean, they won the series the next the next game. Right, but that well, was, yeah, I know that was a turning point them. in the series. Yes. I mean, they were, if you'll recall, Reed, they were down a couple goals in that game. They five were down three one. Latestu scored on the power play yeah. late, late in the, in the third, second. Uh, late in the second. Yeah, Clefbaum tied it with two something to go, and then in the overtime, right. San Jose played the most oddly defensive style I've ever seen in an overtime. That was strange. I and what I'm saying by that is, I you know. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that they win that series if they lose game five at home. That's why I called it probably their most, they haven't had a more meaningful victory since. I don't think if San Jose preserves that lead, I'm not sure the Oilers go into San Jose, win game six, come back and win game seven. I'm not sure they get that done. Right. Uh, Lee, you have to call Dreisaitl's, well, I guess you've called Dreisaitl every goal he scored. Correct. And McDavid's. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so you got Dreisaitl's uh, 50th, and you did not – we've talked about this. You did not have anything set in no, mind. No, I'm not that. a script guy. You don't guy. like doing that. I don't like it. I don't like I, I don't like it, you know, on the odd chance that you might say, hey, what are we going to talk about? I like to kind of shoot from the cuff. I feel like my best work is is off script. I would not be good <laughs> that's your whole as li- good that's as – your whole life. Yeah, exactly. I would not be a <laughs> s- straight teleprompter guy. I think I'd struggle there. I think I'd almost do the I'm Jack Michaels. I might struggle. <laughs> you know, if you threw a little question the mark Ron in there. Burgundy? Yeah, exactly. You might say something to well, San Diego that you shouldn't say. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I do as great on the teleprompter. Maybe that's a problem with reading. I don't know. But I, I just prefer kind <laughs> no, of I, It's just your personality. You're yeah, like, I like to string t- together a certain language. 5-2 uh, Red Sox lead the Blue Jays in the top of the third. A, a, between 6.30 and 7 tonight, we'll have Matthew Prue on out of Montreal RDS about the Cavus Reed firing and some of the shenanigans that uh, have now come to light about Cavus Reed and the Alouettes. It's a pretty, I was always it's a surprised. It's shocking story. If I may step into your fulcrum for a moment, because I know this is more... I always feel like I'm treading on your ground when I start talking CFL. No, not at all. But I was I was pretty surprised Cavus Reed got that job in the first place. I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is without being a CFL outsider, I'm thinking not a great tenure in Edmonton, and a guy that costs Saskatchewan the Grey Cup, right? I mean, wasn't that his resume before? He was a special teams coordinator, yeah. And and they had 13 guys on the field. And and, and oddly enough, Matthew Prue, who's coming up, right. was on that Alouettes team. I'm going to ask him about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, I'm not... I'm not necessarily well, laying the Grey Cup loss solely at Cavus Reed's feet, but if you're the special teams coordinator and your field goal block unit has 13 players on the field, you certainly have a hand in it, oh, right? Sure. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think you would classify his tenure here as successful. No, he started off better. And now I think there was a lot of circumstances for Cavus besides that. Was that on the tail end of the tail, tail end of the Tillman? Tillman era. Yeah, okay. And and then but then the journey was kind of weird. You go to Montreal and you're special teams coordinator, and then and then all of a sudden but, but, you're head but coach. But Cavus made no secret of the fact that he wanted to be a manager. Like he was studying management. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to know his way around that world. But but well, and, and want to is one thing. I know. I, yeah. I, I know. But I mean, that's justifiable that's first, hire that's is first, another. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. But but telling people you want to do something. Right. I mean, you don't get you, you don't, I mean, you don't like get the girlfriend con- if you don't ask for the first date. I'd like to be behind the uh, controls of an aircraft carrier. But I don't think, you know, our Navy is, you know, calling me up anytime soon. I'm not even sure whether aircraft carrier would fall under Navy or Air Force, to be honest with you. 
<laughs> but I'm just saying, well, I think it'd be pretty cool to run one of those things. Or how about well, how about like uh, Denzel Washington and Gene Washington, like or uh, Gene uh, Hackman, the you know control the subs and tide. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like running a sub. Now I'd like I, to I do think that. Putting you underwater in the middle of the ocean. I, I think be, that's asking for trouble with that. that you, oh, you think I'd be good? See, <laughs> I I would like to do it, but just because I would like to do it, right, doesn't necessarily mean. And I could study it. You know, hey, all right, this is what you do. You know, DEFCON 4, you know, <laughs> alert. Just straight you know, to DEFCON Shoot them. Or, how you high, know, how many DEFCONs fire. are there? Five? I don't know. I just made that up. I, I, I think I'm, DEFCON 5 again, is the, I haven't the studied really bad one. I'll, I'll circle back to you with this proper lingo after I study it. But just because I want to be at the helm of an aircraft carrier doesn't mean I should be. And that's where I'm kind of at with Cavis Reed. I'm sure he's a nice guy, and there's some kids out there that like him. But, boy, he that was a questionable hire from the get-go. And, and to me, the, there are some things. You know what? It's the equivalent of signing what's-his-face to a seven-year, $40 million deal. I think Kevin Hayes, I don't think anyone's going to be like, wow, I never saw that as potentially being a tough signing. If you have a uh, text for Jack to 630-630, please send it. How long are you staying? 630-640? What's the cutoff? I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, right now, there's is, still is it, is some... Is it your daughter's birthday well, today? Well, no, it yesterday? was yesterday. Oh, we're and then fine. She then. Went we're, out... we're going to 11. We'll cut into Adler. Well, I mean, the, the problem is, is she went to a park yesterday and got all jumbled up on the inside. You know, she has kind of oh. my constitution. Like, a little ride's good. A lot of rides were getting into Where Jeopardy. was this? She was five hours out at West Ed. And I think, oh, okay. yeah, I think her delicate constitution was not receptive to a four-course meal thereafter. Oh. And now, so we're past the birthday date. So now, all of a sudden, my motivation to honor the birthday starts going in an inverse ratio. And now so, you realize how much you enjoy being in studio with Well, exactly. I, I look forward to seeing you. And she's at a friend's house and didn't necessarily, she wasn't hungering to like go somewhere with her dad she was at a friend's house so i was like you know what i got my radio show you know call me if you want to go somewhere and she has not texted or called since so right now we could be on for what how long does your show go again well tonight it's scheduled till 7 30 tonight's my abbreviated show because uh, moss and morley are 7 30 but i think at eight we could just come back on and and Oh, you got! Going. Oh, that's right. You got coaches show tonight. Yeah. Uh, hey, they're off to a great start. This Three and the, one pounded BC. This texture says DefCon one is the worst. DefCon five uh, is the easiest. So it's the uh, it's the opposite of the Hurricanes because category one, no big deal. Category five, head for the hills. You want to get out of there? Yeah. Did you watch the Wimbledon men's final? Yes, I did. Fifth set tiebreak, close to tears for me. So it was uh, Djokovic over Federer. Yeah. And this is now, they now had a tie break because it was 12 12 in games. That so was after year. last year when they Anderson to... beat Isner 26 24 in the fifth. And then about eight years before that, Isner beat Nicholas Mahout 70 to 68 in the fifth. I, I remember we were watching that one at work. It took like three days to finish the match. Exactly. And, and you have no chance and, in the next didn't round. Did Federer and Nadal have a long. Yes, Nadal beat him 9-7 in the fifth. And weren't there a couple other tiebreak sets in that one? Yes, Federer won both of those tiebreakers to force a fifth set. He's also now lost three times to Djokovic, twice in the U.S. Open Finals and now in this Wimbledon Final where he's had two match points in all three matches and lost them all. That's a tough one. And all these guys, are they're now well into their 30s now. Yes, Federer's 37, going to be 38 next month. Nadal is 33, and Joker's 32. He's the baby of the group. Yeah. I lost, I, I still remember the match I lost 
uh, when having match point. You never quite get over it. I had an opportunity to hit a real backhand. I had the whole court. Okay, what tournament instead, is this, Jack? Let's instead, clarify. I popped one up in the air on the guy overhead, and I never recovered. This was not at Wimbledon. No, this was a high school tennis match that I have not forgotten. But what I'm Literally. saying is that match still haunts me. You can imagine with uh, all the prestige and maybe the title of world's greatest player ever on the line. This one will haunt Federer for a long, long time. All right, Jack Michael. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. This is in studio. You can text 63630. Our phone number is 780-496-0063. Quick timeout. Then we're coming back. So this is uh, Molly Hatchet. Yeah. You don't remember this? I don't remember this. When did it come out? I think it's in the late 70s. It's classic rock I, genre. I do not remember this. I have a very limited scope. I don't I don't remember this song. Wow. Sorry, that buddy. It's shocking to me. I feel like it's late 70s. It might be mid 80s. I don't know. I didn't listen to it at the time it came out, but as okay. you'll recall, my first, uh, well, the first job I got paid for included a little classic rock shock jock action. Where was that again? Five to nine, just north of Pittsburgh. I was I was a very, well, that was, I mean, as you can imagine, I was 21, living pretty hard, so often five o'clock was, I was on the wrong side of five o'clock. Oh, it was just, 5 a.m. Oh, It was yeah. a morning show. Oh, it was a morning show. Why, that's awful. Yeah, it, it was terrible. It was terrible. And then I'd, so I'd sleep from nine to noon. I did, I, well, I mean, sometimes I'd have traffic to do. I'd have to, you know, record some commercials. But I was hoping to be like fast asleep by 9.30. I'd wake up at noon and play golf all day. This was pre-girlfriend, pre-everything. That was good. The song came out in 79. Thank you, Angie. So yeah, I was pretty close. That's good. Well, yeah. I was only five. So yeah, I, I know. wouldn't have been exposed to it at the time. No, I know. I didn't listen to it at the time. I, no, fair This enough. was when I was a rock. Yeah, well, no, it's, you know, it's new to me. I just figured, you know, at some point you might have came across this music genre called classic rock and thus acquired the knowledge, but apparently uh, you didn't. No. Apparently so you just went straight to inside sports and your eminent titles of pre- and post-show host and everything else you do around the station. Thank you, Jack. I'm which getting is, sick is, of seeing all amazing. the placards around <laughs> all promoting my, all you. All accomplishments. So you're working. That was your first. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know about that. You didn't know? I, I thought, it all, classic rock I thought it all started with the ostrich race. Well, that was that was an afternoon gig at the Crawford County Fair. Oh, okay. Yeah. While you were doing the morning show. Yeah, the Crawford County Fair. Think miniature Calgary Stampede, like without the elite level rodeo. But everything else was pretty much there. It was it's it was. I mean, I think the people here would be like, oh, that's a nice county fair. I mean, it was, it was a good county fair, as you know. Miss Crawford County, 1976, Sharon Stone. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, true. 
Miss Crawford County, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. And I so at the fair is when I did the uh, ostrich race at the esteemed Crawford County Fairgrounds. Do you have tape of that? I, I think I told you the story when I told you the story originally. It was on a reel-to-reel. Oh, yeah. And at that time, you erased with this thing. You pressed a button, and you just right. ran it over. Like It looked like one of those things you'd revive someone who had had a heart attack. What do they call those this, things? This, Cardiograms? The CPR? Yeah, well, you no, know, this, the, like, the clear, paddles. clear, the paddles. The paddles. Yes, the yeah. paddles. And that's what it looked like. <laughs> and uh, so... You know, a couple days, a couple days later, we asked this guy who was probably, I mean, you could imagine he was, you know, I mean, he's an engineer, he was not necessarily high on our engineer list. He was kind of the fill-in guy. Okay. And I'm sure he was our overnight guy on the, on the, uh, on the classic rock station. He did not, was not allowed to go on the air. He just ran the tunes. So you can imagine maybe some of the things he was into in terms of imbibing. And he just, yeah, he, he erased it. And we didn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, we had the cart machines. We didn't have things backed up on computers. Yeah. We had, you remember the Once cart it was machines? Gone, it was gone. It was gone. It was In like, other words, we tried. We found the reel that it was supposedly on or what he thought was on. It goes, oh, I, I, I nuked it. And we asked him why. He's like, oh, I thought I was supposed incredible. to delete everything. Yeah. I mean, that was, now we didn't think of it until two or three days later. But a couple of people, you know, in town, we started getting a lot of calls on it. Hey, you know, do you have tape of that? <laughs> so we then followed up and tried to discover the tape and we discovered it had been arrested. That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. I mean, I mean unless someone out there was rolling tape on a cassette player, you know, and, but that person would be... Happening. Well, number one, that person would probably be north of 75, which means number two, that person would probably be deceased today. True. Yeah. Trevor from Slow Walkin' Walter says, hey Jack, I play in a classic rock band. I've never heard that song either. Wow. Uh, Thomas says, uh, the story that was out about the trade between Vancouver and Edmonton and a player blowing up the trade, do you think it was a good thing for the Oilers and the Canucks, or do you think it would have been a good trade for both teams? If the Thomas, trade, you, yeah. you got to say which one's your. I'm assuming about. he's talking about this rumor that has Calgary and Edmonton exploring a deal for Lucic and Vancouver and Edmonton exploring a deal for Erickson Lucic. Probably. I, are those the rumors you've heard? Because those are the rumors That's I've heard. That's probably what he's talking about. I, yeah. I assume, so here's what I would say, is I'd much rather have Milan Lucic on this team, even for the extra year, than Louis Erickson. That's my opinion. Yes. Much ne- rather. Neil I'd probably sooner have, because I think he's more likely to get back to well, doing something offensive. Neil has a weapon. I'm, I, Louis Erickson isn't a scorer. He isn't really anything at this point. I mean, he can make a few plays, but that goes for every guy in the National Hockey League. Yeah. He's lost a step, and that step enabled him to separate and, and put up some 30-goal campaigns in Dallas and Boston. He's no longer that player. I'd much rather have Milan Lucic. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I think Milan Lucic can be a more than serviceable third-line player for this team for the next couple oh, of years. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> well, and what I what I mean by that is honestly, if you want to set real realistic goals, ten goals, twenty five points, and a physical presence, that's a third line player in the National Hockey League. All right, Jack Michaels will stick around for a few minutes after the six thirty news. We will also get to Matthew Prue out of Montreal. He's with RDS for the inside story. On Am I happened. cutting into his time? Gave us read fire. No, no, he's good. He's good. He's going to do this full time. I mean, you're not you're, trying you're to drive both. a wedge between you're, me and Matthew, are you? <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. 
They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah, big, I don't like what you're doing with a lineup here. A big lemon here. wedge with tartar sauce. When do I start getting a say? All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Uh, Yakushev says if 10 goals and 25 points is a third-line player, then Lucic belongs on the fifth line. He won't get those points playing with uh, third-line talent. That is from Yakushev, loyal listener and texter, who I always enjoy hearing from. Jack Michaels is in studio. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Jack, thanks again for dropping by. So what's, uh, what's up for you this summer? How do you keep the pipes in shape? I don't do much. <laughs> I'm a glorified chauffeur, <laughs> driving my kids around to the next sporting event. You know, I'm just trying to stay busy that way, trying to make up for lost time. Now, your son, Tyler, yeah. we've talked about his baseball career before and yeah. your brief coaching career. Yeah, I'm actually still, you know, that was actually one thing. I'm glad we got rained out yesterday because I was not in a good mood after Federer lost. So I arrived at the ballpark rather sour. It affected so. you that deeply, eh? Yeah, I'm a, well, I'm a hardcore fan. Have like, you ever met him? Uh, no, I've never met him. I've been within you to me of him, but I've never had an opportunity to meet him. Uh, so you I would saw, like to, How many times have you seen him play in person? In person, I have seen him play three times. All at Wimbledon? Yes. You didn't go this year. I didn't go. You went, what, the last three years? Correct. Two years, three years? The last three years. And I regret it. I, I we've had you on the phone from there. Yes, exactly. I would have liked to go. But I, I had my, my parents were very eager to get up here right after the school year was over. In fact, they came up during finals week. Oh, nice. Uh, but... Nevertheless, I I do regret it. I next time I'll leave my parents and just say, I'm off <laughs> go, to Wimbledon. I'm going to London by they myself. Did, they did they did watch him last year when Emily and I took off. What other uh, tennis tournaments have you attended, if any? I have. That's a good question. What other tennis tournaments have you haven't gone to the U.S. Open? No. I haven't gone to Australia. No, I'd like to get to the French when they redo the stadium. I've, I don't think I've been to another tennis tournament now that you say that. Just I have not one. been to another tennis tournament. I've been to Wimbledon. I'd li- I still, that's still one for me I'd like to see live. As much as I like golf, I would like to go to Augusta and see it and walk it. But I haven't golf- ruled out going to the U.S. Open this year, by the way. I have not moved oh, that up. for tennis, okay. Yeah, for tennis. I'm still thinking about that. Yeah, I, I, that, that would be fun to go to. Yeah. And see it live, because I just think the speed of the game, whenever you see it live, it's it's amplified. And to actually see them serve and rally and, and how quickly they even just, what great athletes they are, the short bursts of 
you know, the little sprints and all that kind of stuff. Golf. Wimbledon is not very much bigger than this chorus entertainment facility either. That's the cool thing about Wimbledon is you're talking about a very confined space. You can see seven or eight courts from wherever you are. Oh, really? That's yeah. cool. It is really cool. I mean, the grounds are not big by any stretch of the imagination. It is not a cavernous complex. The U.S. Open, from what I understand, is a huge plot of land. And there's the... The U.S. Open has, what is it, Arthur Ashe is the big one. Yes. And then is it... Well, Billy Jean King. Is a, still a stadium size, but it's smaller. Yeah, I can't remember... So what Wimbledon has center court? Yes. And then what's their secondary one? Is it still court one, several court thousand two, people? Court three. Oh, they just number. Yeah, court one. They is don't name like... them after monarchs. This no. is the Prince Charles court. No, they don't have that going on. <laughs> There's no oligarchy or whatever that word is. Oligarchy. <laughs> oligarchy, I believe, is, is, that is, is the word you're looking for. I threw an extra syllable in there. <laughs> that's that's fine. Well, that, see, I'd love to see. No, I, I have been to LPGA events in Edmonton, and. The thing is, once you see them hit the ball, you realize, well, they hit it really far, and I don't know where it landed. You know, so you'd almost have to sit on a par three, I think, would be the ideal way. See, if I went to the Masters, I'd probably pick up a, uh, a spot. A, well, first first day, I'd walk the course. Because you'd want to see everything. Because I'd want to see the course, and I'll be like, I'll follow this group. Right. And I realize I'm not going to necessarily see where all the shots And then end you'd up. eventually pick a spot. And then, you, you know, maybe you'd go back and pick a spot. I have seen a PGA event before they used to play this tournament called the international in castle rock oh, Colorado. the stableford scoring stableford system. system do you remember that tournament yes yeah, i saw that one i saw ernie i mean ernie else phil mickelson i mean it had a good field and they hit the ball a long way but you're right you know after a while it's kind of like eh, where's the tent <laughs> Grant Fedorik, our buddy from Leading Edge Physio, was yes. at the Masters this year, and he's a huge Tiger fan, so he got to be. And, and he said the great thing about Augusta is if you get there and set up your lawn chair, that's your spot. Somebody may sit in it while you're not there, but if you get back and say, excuse me, that's my lawn chair, it's like, okay. You, yeah. That person, it's very gentlemanly. Very refined. And you know what? The other thing about the Masters, read is they don't gouge you on the sandwiches and the refreshments. I think it's like $5 for one of those yeah, it's very sandwiches, inexpensive. $2 for a Coke or what whatever. What is it, the uh, olive, no, the pimento and cheese yeah, sandwiches? Yeah, pimento and cheese. Have? It's not, I mean, that's not what I would order, but that's what it is. <laughs> that's not, that's, I think that's the only option, Jack. You eat what they tell you to eat at Augusta. <laughs> well, hey, did you hear about the guy that got in trouble for trying to take some sand out of one of those Augusta bunkers? Oh, I didn't, but I'm not surprised. Oh, yeah, no, he... Like he, it ended up costing him like twenty five grand. What did they charge him with? I, I, well, Some I, form of trespassing. I, yeah, I guess theft. Trespassing and then you know theft of property or whatever. And it he really got himself and I mean it was a stupid thing to do, but the recrimination seemed excessive. I mean to me, you think they would just say you can never attend this tournament again? Goodbye. Yeah, but you know I think what it is is the people in Augusta National. I mean, if they can tell CBS and Gary McCord to pack a lunch because he said the greens were bikini waxed one time, yeah, they can pretty much tell a local police officer throw the book at this guy. I mean, I'm sure if they've got that kind of influence it's, around the world, it's uh, the Masters Augusta National is is a fascinating place. It's a beautiful place with actually quite a horrifying history, in some ways. Absolutely. Of you're talking about the the chair. Like, yeah. The chair. The the founder killed himself yeah, by right. one of the pawns. Yes. Not not Jones. Under that name? tree, uh, right? I, I can't remember his name, name now. But but yeah, Bobby Jones himself. and this other gentleman founded and built Augusta National. He killed himself. Yeah. The 
I mean, unfortunately, America there has a long history of racism and not treating black people that well. Like, multiply that by five or ten for some of the things that happened at, at Augusta. Like, horrific, horrific tales. And I, there's a, I've read a couple books about it, and it's like, oh, my God. Like, this was happening at this refined, you know, place for, for rich people. Because it was built as come down, for the rich people come down from New York and Washington and spend some time there, right? So it has all this horrific history behind it, yet it's the most one of the most famous places in the world when it comes to sports. Well, and they've done some nice things in recent years uh, as you've gotten younger members and younger people in charge of that course. They've especially done some great things in junior golf. And, of course, as you know, having a junior golfer in my household, uh, I can appreciate that. They're, they're trying to, yes, make up for some of that or at least move on from it right all right jack uh we gotta send you back to your family okay thanks for stopping in fair buddy. enough i appreciate you having me and you got a guest to get to matthew so. prue he's gonna give you the lowdown on cavis reed i know you're gonna listen i'm going to listen and so give me at least two minutes to get in my vehicle and we, get you tuned I think, in i think we have uh i think we have a three minute break here so we're good thanks for coming in buddy always a pleasure pal Ellingson and the Eskimos visit the Montreal Alouettes on Saturday, 12.30 countdown to kickoff here on 6.30. Ched, the game will start at 2, and the Alouettes making headlines over the weekend, firing general manager Cavis Reed. For more on that, from RDS, former safety for the Owls, now an analyst, Matthew Prue. Matthew, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Thanks, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing very well, and uh, no shortage of headlines coming out of Montreal really this season. I mean, I think we would have been talking anyway this week to set up what, what might happen on the field on Saturday, but I, I think some of the off-field news for the Alouettes has, has been the dominant story for, for that team this season. Can you give us kind of the lowdown here on what has, has happened with, uh, with Cavis Reed and why he was ultimately let go over the weekend? Well, first off, when we uh, heard of the news and the... Um when we heard when we got the email of the firing we always everyone thought okay well the team's team's for sale the new owner's coming in and he wanted to cave his fire before he got in that was automatically what we all thought but then we show up at the press conference and it was a very weird press conference to be quite honest for those who saw it basically what we were told is he committed a fault it was a lack of um or more i should say mismanagement of um uh, of his position and therefore he was fired. He could no longer be GM because of certain things that they had found out. So when we pressed uh, the president to learn more about the situation, he couldn't say anything. He said, I can't tell you. It was just, he did something and we couldn't tolerate it. He could not be the GM anymore. So when we went digging a little bit, what we found out basically um, to paint like a picture is basically he mismanaged the funds of the team on different levels. Uh, there were some reports of him buying plane tickets for personal uses, but charging to the team. Uh, there was another report of a rent being due, and he was sued by a landlord for rent, uh, unpaid rent here in Montreal. And then there was all this uh, other issue with uh, a system he put in place to circumvent the salary cap of the league. So there's a bunch of different things that were put into place. Basically, he acted in a cavalier way, if I could say this, with the team's finances, and ultimately he was let go. Davis, obviously, with uh, a huge connection to the Eskimos, having played and 
having been the coach here and obviously with his his family here and he, he spent a lot of his life in Edmonton so I, th I think probably a lot of people in this market are going to be surprised to hear some of this about Cavis. I mean your reaction when you went digging and some of this came to light I mean did you have any inkling this could have been going on not really uh it's kind of tough you don't want to and i don't want to kick someone who's down on obviously he just lost his job and the point here is not to hit on him while he's down i mean uh I w we were all surprised when you when you hear stuff like this it's always surprising you feel that someone who's has, has, who has the opportunity to, to, to have one of these jobs as a gm and a sports team you, you think he'd act diligently and he's acting in the best interest of the team and it's probably what he tried to do but didn't do it in a great fashion uh, we were surprised, but at the same time, it was a, a tough tenure for him here in Montreal. It was really tough. Um, he didn't have a lot of allies on his side. Uh, I talked to a lot of people on the team, and, and it, was, it was tough for him. He wasn't much appreciated around the organization. He put a lot of people. Uh, I talked to different agents who didn't want to deal with him, different players who felt they were betrayed by him. Um, there were a lot of decisions that were made that were very controversial, starting with the Manziel trade, which wasn't appreciated by the, the people here, uh, the Mike Sherman hiring that was a complete bust. Uh, so there were a lot of things over the years that went on, and, and, and he didn't have a great relationship with the media either, um, attracting people who would say bad things about him and making sure they, they take down what they wrote on Twitter, take down what they said, and confronting people. So it was, it was a very tenuous tenure for him here in Montreal. Um, and to be quite honest, uh, we're all pretty sure that whoever was going to come in and buy this team was going to fire him anyways. And this is, and, and we kind of heard that between the lines when Patrick Boivin addressed the media yesterday, the team's president. He said, look, we had a discussion with Andrew Whittenhall at the end of last season, uh, deciding if we were going to keep him or fire him, but we decided to stay with them because, and the reason was given, the team's for sale. So if the team's for sale, we want to just have continuity, stability. Uh, we're not going to fire him, hire someone who's eventually probably going to be replaced by the new owner. So we kind of kept him on on a temporary base, basis. But the sad thing is the team started to win, and the team now looks good, and it's his team. It's Cavus's team. He put this team together to his credit. This is his team, and it's starting to look good, but unfortunately he made some decisions and it took some actions that led to his firing. So it has nothing to do with on-the-field performances. It's really what he did behind the scenes and with the team's finances that ultimately um, cost him his job. Okay. I, I want to get to the on-field performance because I think that's generally been a, been a positive for the Alouettes. But, but I mean, you mentioned, obviously, Mike Sherman as coach who was kept through the off-season and kept through the preseason. And then, uh, you know, by Cavis Reed was relieved of his duties uh, right after the, the preseason ended. What, what, was the, what was the story there with that dismissal from your point of view? Um, he, he was very hard-headed never adjusted to the CFL. He was really that typical American coach who comes in uh, and thinks that he, because he coached in the NFL and he knows American football, that he's going to do his thing and it's going to work. And, and we've seen this time and time again, and you've seen this before, I'm sure. Uh, and the coaches who succeed are the ones who are humble. I remember Mark Tressman, when we, he got here in Montreal, he came in, the first thing he said, he said, I don't know all the subtleties of Canadian football, but I'm going to do my best to learn. And that's how you got to approach it. It's a different type of football, and Sherman never adapted. And, and I know Kavis approached him about it. I know Kavis talked to him about it. I know the other coaches tried, but he just never adjusted. And he never really worked hard at it, and he was really hard on the players. I mean, it's a long season. It's... 20-some weeks of regular season. It's a short training camp, but it's like six months long. And, like, and he was working the guy's tails off every day. So the guys got to the games, 
and they basically had already played three games during the week. And I know he was told this by players, by management, to stop doing it, but he was still doing it. So the guy were the guys were tired all the time. Uh, so basically, it's it's a question of not and never adapting to the CFL. It was unbearable. He was really hard to work with. Um, and unfortunately, they, they should have made the decision beforehand to put something in place for the season, but they didn't. And at the end of the training camp, it was still unbearable, and, and, and they couldn't send it anymore, so they decided to relieve him of his functions, which was a difficult situation because then Carby Jones had a week as the new head coach to prepare for a game, so it was kind of a tough situation to start the season. But the decision had to be made, and it was done, and he got fired. Matthew Prue joining us tonight at Inside Sports covers the Montreal Alouettes for RDS. Okay, so on the field, uh, I mean, they're 2-2. Two and two. As you know, there weren't a lot of high hopes for the teams in the East Division except for Hamilton. Montreal has handled Hamilton its only loss of the season. The Alouettes won over the weekend. They came here to Edmonton in Week 1, and they were way behind, but but they made a, made a game out of it and tied it. Edmonton eventually won it with a late touchdown. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's been not bad for a team that wasn't picked to, to be very good. What do you think has allowed them to, to get to 2-2 two and two so far this season? Well, first off, I think they find they found their identity, which is strong defense. I mean, I do believe they have a good roster on defense. Uh, they do have a, a new defensive coordinator to the CFL, Bob Solvik, who, contrary to Mike Sherman, is ready to, to learn and ready to, un, to to listen to people. And he's been learning, and his learning curve has been pretty good, actually, because when you look at the first week, he I think his defense allowed over 600 yards and has gone down every week since. And you see him being more creative the first week and went really fast for him. So I think he played like two or three coverages. That was it. So he's learned a little bit. He's more creative. They're creating turnovers on defense. So their defense is solid. And then on offense, they've decided to run the ball more and really commit to the running game. And you've, you saw that against Hamilton, obviously, with Will Steinbach having the game of his life over 200 yards. And then again last week, a 100-yard game, but especially 18 carries and seven carries with Vernon Adams. So they've committed to the run. So they control time of possession, limit the turnovers, play solid defense, and that's why they're winning. And obviously, when you talk about the CFL, you got to look at the quarterbacks. They started the season with Pipkin, who got hurt in Edmonton. Vernon Adam came, came in the game, <clears throat> sorry. And as he did in the preseason, he was really the spark. He created something, and he gave hope to the team with explosive plays. He did it again against Hamilton, and he did it last week against Ottawa. So Vernon, he's not perfect. He's not the greatest quarterback, but still young quarterback. Uh, he's got to limit the mistakes, but you can see he's getting more and more confident <clears throat> sorry, in this system, completing the short throws, controlling the time of possession, and really seeing the field quite well. So credit to Carby Jones for teaching him well. Uh, so basically what I think is uh, that's how the, uh, the Alouettes have been able to pull off two uh, solid wins against two of the teams who probably people saw as the two best teams in the East. Matthew, just want to transition a little bit to uh, your career. Obviously, a lot of people listening are going to remember you as a player. Uh, you won the Great Cup in 09 and in 10, so you won the one in Edmonton, right? And then you yeah. won the Too Many Men game, the comeback in the Too Many Men yeah. game. Oh, I mean, look, yeah. I, I know Riders fans are going to uh, hate me, but that's one of the oh, most memorable. Oh, that's fine. They, yeah, they can hate me too. That's a memorable game. Memorable uh, game. I mean, when that actually went down, where the kick is missed and you think you lost and then on a too many men call you guys get to try it again and, and win it like tell me where were you what was going through your mind that was insane well i was kneeling down holding hands with a few players praying that damon duval would make the first field goal 
then he missed it. But I don't know if you remember this, but as soon as he missed it, even as the snap was done, all the flags flew. So the, the time between realizing that the kick was missed and that we had another opportunity was very short. Uh, so, so it was kind of a crazy end to the not sort of. It was the craziest end to a game. Uh, and, and obviously people in Saskatchewan will say we, we were lucky. Sometimes you need to, to be uh, lucky to be good and good to be lucky. I say we're kind of both, but it was uh, to me in 2009 was my fourth presence at the Grey Cup, and we lost the three first times. We lost in 05, 06, and in um, 08. So I was kind of happy regardless of how it happened to, to win it, but it was just crazy how that game ended. And I, if I recall, I think some guys on the Saskatchewan side had already their championship hats on, and they had to take them off and give them back. So it was, it was, I, I can totally understand how heartbreaking it was for the Saskatchewan and Ryder Nation, uh, but obviously it's something that will go down in history. And for us, and for me, it was my first breakup, so it was pretty special. Okay, I got one more question, pretty standard one I ask ex-players. I, I think probably I know what you're going to say for half of it, but, but we'll see. Um, from your CFL career, Matthew, greatest player you ever played with and greatest player you played against? Well, obviously played with. Uh, it's kind of hard to, to not go with Anthony Calvillo. He's my quarterback for my sixth season, so I, pretty much that's the one you, you probably saw coming. Uh, and, and I'd say the hardest player I played against, I would go Casey Printers. Casey Printers in his prime when he had that crazy season. I played against him and started a game against him, and he was just a man amongst boys. He was strong. He ran. He was fast. I tried to tackle him. I think he broke my arm. He was, he was a man amongst boys. So Casey Printers, and I would have to put there Ricky Ray as well. Ricky Ray was something else. As a free safety you always read the opposing quarterback, and Ricky Ray was so good at doing what he did. He was always one step ahead of you. Uh, he could dissect the defense better than anyone. Uh, and obviously, he beat us in the Grey Cup in 2005. Uh, one of the best quarterbacks, and, and I would say best person, people I played against. Such a class act, such a good guy. Uh, Ricky Ray, one of my top favorite players ever, and one of the best players I've ever played against. Well, still very popular here in Edmonton where he helped the Eskimos win two great cups. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> Matthew, thanks for filling us in on the story with, uh, with Cavis Reed and also some memories from your career. It is great to have you on the show and enjoy the game on Saturday. Yeah, thanks. You too, guys. Good stuff there from Matthew Prue, former Montreal Alouette, now an analyst for the team on RDS. That is a uh, fascinating story with Cavis Reed getting fired. We will take a break for the news. Little 3x3 basketball with Steve Sir. Big win for his team over the weekend. Moss and Morley coaches show coming up at 7.30. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.